and I'm going to show it to you today. First of all, I want to tell you about a, a mama camel and a baby camel. We're talking one day. The baby camel said, Mama, you know, we love all the animals, but we are such a different-looking animal than all the other animals. I mean, we've got these long, long eyelashes. What, my mommy, do we have these long eyelashes? And the mama said, well, God gave us those long eyelashes, so when we make these long treks in the desert, it, the eyelashes will protect our eyes from the blowing sand. Oh, the baby thought that makes sense. Well, here's another question, Mama. Why do we have these really wide, big feet? No other animal has those. Well, that's easy, uh, child, because God gave us those feet for the long treks in the desert, so it gives us a strong footing and foundation on this drifting, and, the drifting sand. Okay. Well, here's another question, Mama. Why do we have this big hump in the middle of our back? No other animals has that. Well, that's easy because... God gave us an extra water supply for those long treks in the desert. One more question, Mama. If God gave us all these unique things for the long treks in the desert, why do we live in the zoo? Some Christians don't realize the potential that God has put in you. He has not meant you to stay inside the church. He's meant you to come to the church to get refreshed and to worship and encourage each other so you can make the long trek out there powerfully in his name. And there comes a point where we all have to make decisions. Will what God spoke to me in this place as I heard the word of God preached, as I worshiped the Lord, God refreshed me and spoke to me. When I walk out this door, will I just do what God spoke to me? And this is the question that we all face probably every day. And there's a certain amount of risk that comes with doing what God spoke to me in here, doing it out there. The number one hindrance, of course, is fear. I have, maybe you've heard this acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. The enemy comes and lies to you about what's going to happen when you take steps of faith, when you become risky for Jesus. And he lies to you, and he, sometimes he makes it so real in your mind, even though it has not happened. But I have another uh, acronym for you. It's the word FAITH. And FAITH, is the acronym is Facing Adversity Intentionally Through Him. Facing Adversity Intentionally Through Him. When the things that God has put on your heart become so real, you decide to do it, you're going to have to face every attack, every insecurity, every fear you have. You're just going to have to face it. You can't run away from it. You have to run right at your fears. I remember my first time preaching a sermon. I was a musician at a big church like this. I, thousands of people. I was there. We were doing big musicals and all this. But my very first time to preach was on a Wednesday night. And maybe there was 200 adults in there. And I was all prepared. And I, I had practiced it in my house. I had practiced the whole sermon, and I was ready. I was so excited. I got up to that pulpit, and I looked out at the people, and fear gripped my heart. And the voices started coming in. Who do you think you are? This pulpit has been filled with men and women of God who have given timeless words of God. What word do you think you're going to have? These people are expecting a word from God. 
And my fears started taking a hold of me. And I thought, I've got two choices right now. Either I run off this stage right now and never come back, or I run right at my fears. Now, I think it helped me because the title of my sermon was The Fear of Failure. And so I chose at that moment, I'm going to run right at my fears in Jesus' name. And you know what happened? The moment I did that, within 30 seconds, all fear was gone. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It's a smokescreen. It's not real. And so when we take people out to the streets to share their faith, people come back so excited. They said, I never thought it could be this easy to share my faith. Why have I stayed back so long in fear of rejection? Fear that something is gonna, bad is going to happen. People are very open to talk. And so today, people are influenced for Jesus because you're going out. Yesterday, people, some people even prayed with people to give their lives to Jesus as they went out. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 2. And we've got this great story of Jesus' very first miracle. Jesus and his friends are invited to a wedding and they're at this wedding, John chapter 2, and verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, her son, They have no wine. <laughs> now, I can't imagine what it was like to be Mary, the mother of Jesus, because you knew this was the Son of God. But he hadn't done even one miracle yet. He's 30 years old. Jesus had a time, a, 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 a window, where once he started his miracles, everybody would start looking at him, and he would be revealed as the Messiah, but at the same time, persecution would come his way, and everything would lead to the cross. And so Jesus had a window that God had ordained for that. And so I, I just find it sort of humorous that when they ran out of wine, Jesus looked, I mean, Mary looked over at Jesus and said, Jesus, they're out of wine. Just expecting that her son is going to show up and do something wonderful. And Jesus' response to Mary is, my time has not come yet. Now, I don't know what happened after that except that Mary is full of faith that Jesus is going to do something any one of these days. And she says to her, the servants, the servants that are at the wedding, she says, whatever Jesus says, just do it. Just do it. Whatever he says. Now, he hasn't said anything yet, but Mary's anticipating he's going to. I remember when I was a young man, 23 years old, I was a music pastor at this church, a bunch of college kids, and the church was growing very fast. And, and my buddy and I, my buddy was over cell groups, and I was over the music, and we decided to go down in the basement of the church, and we were going to get in shape. We were going to be the next Charles Atlas, the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. We were going to lift some weights, okay? And we are going to get real strong. And so we're lifting some weights, and while I'm lifting, I felt something snap in my back. And I immediately had pain. And my buddy said, come on, come on, just, just work your way through the pain. Don't give up. But I said, no, 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 something's wrong. And I went home, and I had such back pain. And the only position that I could get comfortable in is if I pulled my knees up to my chest by stretching the back, 
or if I knelt by my bed and just knelt like that. And one day I was kneeling at my bed. I wasn't praying. I was just kneeling for the sake of my pain, relief. And it's amazing what happens when you start kneeling. And God shows up and he says, Tom, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just trying to relieve this pain. He says, Tom, I want to talk to you about something because you're a minister now. You're 23 years old. You're in full-time ministry. And you do not have a disciplined prayer life yet. Something is wrong. You, you cannot reach your potential. You cannot reach the, the things that I have for you unless you develop this prayer life. And God put a thought in my heart. That, that's how God speaks to me. And he, he just put this thought and he, he said, Tom, I'm going to heal your back to the proportion of the time that you spend on your knees. Now I had a choice right then, but God sometimes uses pain to push us towards him. Sometimes God uses infirmity to get our attention. Sometimes God uses what we call tragedies in our life, and God's allowed it all the while because he's trying to move us closer to him. And so I'm in this pain, but I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And 30 days later, I had a healed back and a disciplined prayer life. And my prayer life has stayed disciplined since then. You see, whatever God says, just do it. Don't argue with him. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't offer excuses. When God speaks to you, no matter how, how impossible it may seem to you, just do it. One day the devil got together with all of his minions. And he had a staff meeting with all of his demons. And he said, demons, you know, What's happening at Glad Tidings Assembly, we got to put a stop to this, okay? There's too many people worshiping the Lord. There's too many people coming to Christ. They're, they're start, even starting to share their faith. Can you believe this? We've got to do something to stop these people at Glad Tidings. And the devil said, I, I want you to come back tomorrow to our staff meeting and give me some ideas how we can stop this move of God. So the next day they all gathered together and the little demons, they all had ideas. One demon said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to give a spirit of lust into that congregation. Well, the devil said, that's not going to work. They're, they're more mature than that. Another demon said, well, I'm going to put a spirit of greed in them. No, the devil said, they're, they're more mature than that. And, and idea after idea, the devil shot down. Finally, one little pipsqueak demon that stuttered, he, he, he says, Mr. Devil, I, I, I have an idea. I, I think what I'm going to tell them is that they are truly the child, children of God. And, and God really dwells in them. And God, God, God can really do a great work through their life. And the demon started gasping, what are you talking about? You can't tell them that. The devil said, come on, demon, get to your point. And the devil said, the demon said, I tell you what, devil, if we can tell them that the Bible is true and everything God has is for them, but there's no urgency. We can just do it later. And the devil said, that's the strategy I want. Tell them there's no urgency. We can procrastinate. We don't have to do what God says to do. We're just going to say someday we'll do it. But someday never comes. I want to encourage you to do what Jesus, what Mary told the servants to do. Whatever he says, just do it. Don't argue with him. According to the American Psychological Association, between 80 and 95% of college students procrastinate on their schoolwork. Now, I know none of you guys do that, do you? 
I tend to work better on, under pressure myself, so I, I'm familiar with procrastination. It says more than half of middle-class Americans procrastinate concerning their retirement savings. Uh, and, and research has shown procrastination decreases sleep quality and increases stress levels in our lives. Why do we procrastinate? Because the potential for defeat overshadows the possible thrill of victory. As Shakespeare observed, our doubts are traitors, both hindering us and keeping us from experiencing the spoil of victory. Fear paralyzes us, but greatness, according to the scriptures, beckons us. The chasm between fear and greatness requires what Kierkegaard calls a leap of faith. Failure is an event, not a personality trait. Failure only comes to those who strive for greatness. A few weeks ago, I was in Florida with my wife and my oldest granddaughter, and we took her to the winter laboratory of Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, of course, invented the filament for the light bulb that really allowed us to have uh, the longest-lasting lights and, and many, many other inventions. But he, he had a saying in his laboratory. He said, I have never failed I've only found 10,000 ways that don't work. Thomas Edison is the largest, at that time, the largest holder of United States patents, 1,093 patents that did work. Why? Because he didn't give up and because he just did what he was supposed to do. Is fear holding you back? What is God calling you to do? What has God put on your heart what dreams and visions has he put within you? Dreams of greatness, dreams of, of, of servanthood, dreams of compassion. You say, one day when I get rich, then I'm going to do this. No, you won't. If you don't start when you have little, you won't do it when you have much. That's how God's graduation works. We take, we're faithful in little, and then he graduates us to more. So the Bible talks about a, a piece of, uh, or, or these water pots, and, and the Bible says they were big, big jugs that they had to fill uh, to, to get more water. And Jesus instructed the servants then, okay, there's six water pots here, 20 to 30 gallons a piece. I tell you what, let's, uh, let's fill all those with water. And the servants are filling these, these big jugs with water. And then Jesus says a remarkable thing. He says, I want you to take those jugs to the master of the feast. Now, typically, they would put the, the good wine at the front and the bad wine later because people are getting a little drunk, I guess. But you imagine these servants, they are the ones who filled it with water. They know it's not wine. They know it's water. Why would I take this to the master of the feast? He could fire me. I could lose my job. But more so, sometimes, imagine if those, even those pots, th those pieces of clay could talk. Imagine what they would say. They said, oh, no, no, don't take us to the master. We're used to holding great wine, not water. And the Bible says that sometimes we're like the pots that talk back to God. He's the potter. We're the clay. Uh, Listen to Isaiah 29, 16. It says, how foolish can you be? He is the potter, and he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created think, say, of the one who made it, he didn't make me? Does a jar ever say 
the potter who made me is stupid? So what is God asking you to do? Mr. and Mrs. Clay, Mr. and Mrs. Potter, he's the potter, we're the clay. God is asking you to praise him when you don't feel like it. He's asking you to give when you don't feel like it. He's asking you to forgive when you don't feel like it. He's asking you to love your spouse when they offended you. He's asking you to bless those who curse you. He's asking you to do good to those who do evil to you. These are, are not vague philosophies. These are direct commands of God. Why does God advise us like this? Because he knows those are the kind of things birthed in love that will bring victory in your life and cause it not to be a, a, inside cancer in your heart of bitterness. I remember years ago, a staff member that I had really caused a lot of division in our staff, and he left. And I, every time I thought of him, I thought, ah, oh, I'm not thinking good thoughts. I've got to do something. What does the scripture say? Bless those who do evil to you. And so I made a plan. Every morning when I get up, my bare feet hit the carpet next to my bed, that, that sensation, carpet feet, carpet feet, that's my signal. Every day I'm going to bless him. Now, I'm not going to bless the, the bad stuff he did. I'm going to bless him in a way that his, his hurting will stop. Because hurt people hurt people. And somewhere he had a wound in the past that allowed him to hurt others. And it can spread to his family. So, God, I said, I don't want that to happen. I want this to be healed in his life. That he could overcome these hurts and become a blessing. And every day I did that for 30 days. And you know what happened after 30 days? I didn't feel any animosity anymore. Every time I thought of him, I thought of good thoughts. I, I could bless him. You see, whatever God says, just do it. Don't explain it away. Don't figure it out. He is the potter. We are the clay. In the midst of suffering, praise him. In the midst of political correctness and divisiveness, speak the truth. In the midst of a lost culture, Start celebrating. Now here's three things, here are three real practical things that will help you if you want to write these things down. This has helped me. Number one, these three steps to obedience. Number one, make tomorrow's choices today. Make tomorrow's choices today. Decide today you will obey his voice when he speaks to you tomorrow. Every New Year's Eve in America, we have what's called the New Year's resolutions. And December 31st, everybody thinks or writes down, oh, what do I want to do? What do I want to change in this new year? And probably the number one resolution in the USA is I want to exercise. Or I want to lose weight. Or both. And usually the average length of those resolutions is about 10 days. But you've got to decide today what you're going to do tomorrow. You have to decide when temptation comes your way, I'm, I'm going to resist it. When lust comes my way, when greed comes, when I feel prideful and lifted up, I'm going to humble myself. In fact, embrace the opposite spirit whenever you are tempted. If you want to curse, bless. If you want to hold back, give. If you want to be prideful, humble yourself. Determine what is the opposite spirit before the Lord and embrace that. But make your decision. Don't just be confronted and go, oh no, what do I do? Instead, decide today 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Whatever he says, we are going to do it. Number two, listen closely for his voice. Listen closely for his voice. Learn to recognize his voice. And how do I do that? By spending time with him. Pastor friend had a dog and he took his dog out to the the dog park one day. It's a big, a lot of acres of, of open land and everybody brings their dogs there and just lets the dogs run around and they play in the dirt and the mud and they frolic and they just, they're throwing balls and catching balls and just having a lot of fun with all the dogs. And then the pastor said, watch this, watch this. There's my dog way over there somewhere. He's having a lot of fun. I'm going to give my little whistle and I'm going to shout his name. And, his, and immediately when he did that, the dog stopped what he was doing and came out of the pack. Why? Because the dog has learned to recognize his master's voice. How do you get to know God's voice? By spending time with him. You can't just hear about him. You have to hear him. You have to get alone with him. I had another experience where before God started this ministry, I was pastoring two churches and as a young boy, I knew God called me to be an evangelist, but I was a pastor with the heart of an evangelist. And we saw many people come to Christ. But one day, there was a movement across America for men, godly men meeting together. It was called Promise Keepers. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. And stadiums would be filled, 50,000 men praising and worshiping God. And the, the men from my church would be going to that in different parts of the country. And they would come back and say, Pastor, you need to go to this. I said, Okay. So one day they had a clergy conference, 40,000 pastors and leaders gathered together in Atlanta, Georgia. We got there a little late, and my friend, who, my staff member who was with me, uh, he said, I know what to do. I know how to get a seat because, I mean, the place was full. He said, I know how to get a seat. Just follow me. I thought, oh, okay, we'll just follow you. And he walked right up the main aisle, right up to the front, right in front of everybody. He said, you, if you go towards the front, you'll always find a couple open seats. And sure enough, about the third row, there's a couple open seats. And we sat there, and I didn't know God was actually directing me to that seat. Because about halfway through, they said, now I want everyone to stand up and turn around and tell the person behind you how you met Jesus. So I turn around, and there's a pastor, Emilio, from Asuncion, Paraguay in South America. He said, before I came to Christ, I was training for the Paraguayan Olympic team. I would train six hours a day for this sport. Then I got saved. And God said, give yourself to prayer with the same intensity as you did training for the Olympics. And so he said, I gave myself to six hours a day of prayer in his presence. He said, we started a church in my living room with ten people, a broken accordion, and a tattered tambourine. But now, years later, today, I'm at this big stadium looking for structural ideas for our new church. Because we're running 6,000 people now in our church. And I've listened recently to him, and now he's running 17,000. And God spoke to my heart right there. You see, what God says to you is important, not what God says to someone else. Let God deal with them and work with them. But what God says to you is vitally important. And he spoke to me right then. He said, Tom, go home and double your prayer time. Seek my face, not my hand. Now, you know the difference, don't you? Seeking his face is, is about worship. Seeking his hand is, what can God do for me? Give me, give me, help me, help me. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's, both are correct. 
But for this season, God said, I don't want you to ask for anything. I just want you to be a worshiper. So I went home. I got two campuses. There's a lot of needs, a lot of things to pray about. But I would walk alone in the sanctuary in my prayer time. And I doubled my prayer time. And I was, was a worshiper. I put Christian music and worship music on and just read the word. And 30 days into that, God brought two men to me, one from India, one from Kenya, Africa. Both of them said, come to our country and preach crusades and see people saved. It was the birth of Oasis World Ministries. God birthed it in prayer. And I've tried to keep my, my prayer time doubled since then. Because that's the most important thing. I am not first a pastor or an evangelist. I'm not first a father or a husband. I'm first a child of God. And so are you. Your worth doesn't come from what you do. It doesn't come from how big your bank account is or your credentials behind your name of education. Your, your worth comes from Christ alone. And so you come into his presence, and whatever he says then, you do it. And out of this, that's why we're here today. And God, by God's grace in 51 nations. Listen to this verse in Ecclesiastes 5. This is such a great verse to, to, to learn to listen to God. Listen to what he, what he says. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2 says, Walk prudently or wisely when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear. Let me say it again. Draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Sometimes when I come to God, I want to tell him what to do. But maybe God has instruction for me. It's more important that I hear his words. Draw near to hear. And thirdly, act quickly and completely when God speaks. Act quickly and completely. Don't rationalize. Don't figure it out. Don't make excuses. What God puts in your heart, just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. Jump in. If you'll jump in, God jumps in with you. Stop simply going to church. Be the church. This is a building. This isn't the church. This is a building. You are the church. And when you walk out of here, you are still the church. Be the church. Don't act one way on Sunday and the different way the rest of the week. People are longing to be loved everywhere you are. And when Jesus says, go and be my witnesses, it's not just for them, it's for you. You will grow so much stronger. Yesterday, people were, were telling how they first came to know Christ. These are seasoned Christians in this church, and they started weeping as they're talking about something that happened 20, 30 years ago. Why? Because they were reliving and when Christ touched them, and they were returning to their first love. Whatever he says, share your faith, I'm going to share my faith. Give, I'm going to give. 
praise him when, during the hard times? You bet. I'm going to praise him right now with all my heart. You don't love God with half your heart. You love God with all your heart. I remember this like it was yesterday. I was nine years old. I'm the oldest boy, oldest child in our family. And every week my dad had a list of chores and he wrote down for us kids. And of course it was, it was age appropriate chores. And I was the oldest being nine years old. And I remember standing in the basement stairway. I was holding a paper bag and I was going around emptying the garbage in the house. And my dad looked at me and he added another chore to my list. And I remember looking at my dad and said, Dad, I can't do that. I'm only nine years old. And I'll remember as long as I live my dad's response. He said, son, I will never ask you to do something that you cannot do. I will never ask you to do something you cannot do. Your father is saying the same thing to you. Face your adversity with joy and with praise. Share your faith in spite of your fears. Why? Because these are growing things, and God is using these things to grow you into something else, that, something more and, and more fruitfulness in your life. Today, whatever he says to you, just do it. Would you bow your heads, please? We're going to take 30 seconds right now. We're just going to get quiet with God. What is God asking you to do? What is God speaking to your heart when you're alone with Him? Will you make a resolution in your heart right now, today, on this Sunday in April, will you make a resolution right now that whatever you say, I'm going to do it? Because God uses moments like this to get your attention. And He uses moments like this to draw you close to his mouth so you can hear him speak. And sometimes it's a still, small voice. Let's wait 30 seconds. Go ahead. Just you talk to God. Close your eyes. Let God talk to you.